Hello everyone, um, just like to give a very warm welcome to Mark Ward today. We're going to be talking to Mark about his life as a TD and the fact that Mark is his party spokesperson for mental health and the fact that Mark lives with multiple sclerosis. Okay, Mark, thank you a million for coming on. I'm a little bit nervous actually interviewing you, um, <laughs> but it, it's lovely and thanks, thanks for your time. It's, uh, it's, it's really good of you. I know you're very, very busy. Mark, for people that wouldn't know you and that will be listening, I just wonder, could you give a little bit of the personal side to Mark Ward, maybe just a little bit of your, your personal story? Okay, thanks, Rob, and, and thanks for asking me to come on as well. And I don't worry, I'm a little bit nervous too, so <laughs> you'll be nervous together and it's will be to get yeah, through it. Yeah. Um, like my backstory is I, I come from a, a part of Dublin called um, Norkin Dorkin, which is just on the... The Midwest part of of Dublin that was probably one of the most disadvantaged areas in in the in the country, especially in Dublin. As when I was grow up, when I grew up, so the area that I grew up in, when we moved up there first, there wasn't even a bus route. There wasn't there wasn't shops. There wasn't schools. There was no infrastructure. There was just a load of houses, social houses, um, just put into one area without the proper amenities in them. So from a very young age, I seen people from my area. For everything that they had to get out of life, they had to go out and fight for. So whether that was to go out and fight for the school that I ended up in in St. Kevin's, or whether that was to fight for proper amenities as church, childcare, anything else, I've seen people kind of getting out on the streets and, and, and fighting for them because they had no choice. Um, I've seen the community spirit of that that came out of that, which, which kind of enamoured me to that kind of lifestyle as well. And I very soon, as a young age, I was one of them people that was out advocating for better amenities in, in, in around my area. I'm very passionate about um, areas like mine and, and other areas that are similar across Dublin and across the country because we get an, an awful lot of unfair kind of um, stick by the, the media and by, by government and officials that when there's when they talk about social housing, they, they, they automatically think about anti-social, um, which, which is, is the quite the opposite from the community that I grew up in. There was problems. There was there, there was there was drug use. There was anti-social behaviour. There was there was there was violence. There, there was crime. Um, but you can't expect to put a lot of people um, in the one area at the same time with a lot of kind of issues as what they, what they came in with, with no amenities and no support service around them, and expect everything just to be rose in the garden. Um, so a lot of the stuff that would have happened in, in Kandalkan and other parts of, of Dublin, in particular around that time, was the direct result of government policy. Um, so and, and as, a, as a young man, you, you don't know that. But as, as, I, as, I've, as I've grown older, um, not, not all the same ways, but as I've grown older, um, you start to look back on decisions that people make, policy decisions that people make that have a direct influence and, and a direct impact on the, on, on the area that you grew up. Um, just family-wise, my father was a, was in the Irish Army. He spent 25 years in the Irish Army. He was also a very um, quiet-spoken Republican uh, man in the Army, which was, which was at the time, you couldn't be a Sinn Féin supporter in the Irish Army because we, we were deemed a subversive organisation back then um, by the powers that be. So my, I could, I'd see my father, who was a very honest, um, kind man, hard-working man, um, being uh, punished in the army because of his political affiliation with Sinn Féin and, and republicanism. And that to me was another reason why I, I, I leaned towards Sinn Féin because I see my father who was a hard, honest, working man 
um, who has never been in trouble in his life for anything, um, getting into trouble just because he had a different political opinion than the organisation that he was involved in. And that kind of led me into that kind of lifestyle as well, Rob. So my mother walked, my mother was a, um, she, 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 she was a major, she looked after the family home, but at the age of, I think I was about 16, my mother went back to work. She was the first kind of person around my area as a mother that went back to work because mothers didn't work when we were growing up. That's the way, just the way we thought. And that, that was kind of opened my eyes to, oh, hold on, mother's, mother's place is not necessarily in the home, that she can go out and make a career for herself and she can go out and work. And that, and that kind of opened my eyes to other things that would have happened around the area to say, listen, there is chances for women to get out there and, and work and they don't necessarily have to stay at home and be the matriarch of the, of the, of the family as well. So... And just the rest of them, all my brothers and sisters are all walking away. They're, they're, they're all in diff, diff, different career paths. Um, and they're, they're all productive members of society. And we're all very, very proud of that. And in, in, in the area, and 99% of the people from the area I come up with are the exact same. Well, it's fabulous, Mark. Thanks very much. And it gives people a really kind of nice view of actually who you are and where you're coming from. Um, Mark, I, I, I suppose look, we, we, we might tap into some of that there in a while, actually. But uh, just obviously strange times at the moment um you know strange times all of this year really with covid and um i'm just wondering for you yourself like uh, how has it affected your kind of personal life of recent um just everything that has come with covid i suppose recently it's been a challenge for everybody now not just for myself but absolutely everybody this has been one of the most challenging times that we've had we'll probably look back at this in years to come and, and wonder how we got through it. But it, we're, we're, I think people have a lot of great natural resources that they, they can tap into without even realizing they're tapping into that will help them get through situations like this. And um, it's been difficult, it's been challenging. I, I'm a father of, of three children, um, well, one is an adult now. Um, I, I co parent. So um, it, it's, it's just trying to keep everything as normal as possible for them um, in these abnormal times. On, on, a, on a personal thing, one of the most challenging things I've had is my mother and father no longer live in Dublin. So they moved a few years ago. So I, for example, I haven't seen them now. I think it's nearly come to 12 weeks God, since yeah. the last time I've seen them. Um, it, it's quite difficult. They're, they're not the most, a um, bit like myself, they're not the most techie. So they wouldn't be on Skype and they wouldn't be on Zoom. So it's, it's just relying on phone calls and hoping everything is okay and keeping in touch that way. So I'm looking forward to the restrictions being lifted so I can actually spend some time with my parents as well. And so my, and my kids can spend some time with their grandparents because they're really missing them as well. Work-wise, it's been, uh, I've been inundated with people that have had concerns in relation to COVID, in relation to their employment rights, in relation to housing, and everything that, 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 that has come up during COVID. What COVID has kind of shown to me is that there has been a lot of... Um, there's always been there's also always been a lot of frailties in in policies over the years, whether that's housing, whether that's health, whether that's transport, whether that's business, whatever it might be. But what COVID has done is brought all these frailties to the, to the surface, and, and they're, they're not just cracks now; they're, they're real big chasms. And you can see the the impact on, on the health system that that we have that we haven't got the capacity to deal. With, never mind with COVID, but with everything else that's going on, whether that's children waiting for scoliosis, whether that's um, cancer treatment wherever it might be we've seen that we've seen the housing crisis you know yourself robert what it's like you've worked in it yourself before we've, we've over ten thousand people in dublin on, on the on the on the housing waiting list we we've we, i think nearly up to 800 families that are in homeless accommodation just in dublin alone so it's absolutely uh frightening 
and this is pre-COVID. So you put COVID on, on top of this and the pandemic on top of it, and it has shown on the frailties that the government policies over the years have, have led to the situation that we're in now. So it's been quite a challenging time for everybody. Yeah, no, and I, I, I think you see, I, I think definitely with COVID, like we've seen this, um, all of these cracks are really coming to the surface now. A lot of the stuff, you know, can go unnoticed for so long, but um, it's so difficult. Like, I mean, a lot of my own clients that are coming into me, not able to see their parents, or you know, we often forget people that are, you know, due to their own conditions or autoimmune conditions that they might have, uh, mm -hmm. have had to self-isolate themselves. And the challenges that can be for people not seeing family and being disconnected from people is, is really, really difficult. Um, Mark, my, I just want to talk to you maybe just a little bit about being a TD, and you did kind of tap into that a while ago, but myself and Danielle, we'd often talk about like what a difficult job it is like, you know, and we're watching crime time and maybe sometimes, you know, people being attacked and it's like, oh my God, like, why would you want to do that or put yourself in that position? Um, but, uh, you know, obviously, look, you're in a brilliant position. You're your party spokesperson for mental health and, uh, you know, just listening and talking to you and getting to know you personally in the past. Um, you have a huge passion for that and supporting, helping people. Where does maybe your passion for being a TD or being in politics come from? As, as I mentioned earlier on, Robert, I've always been from an area that has, it's an area of activism, is, is one, one for a better word. Not, not, an, not necessarily an area, area of, of politicization, but more activism. Yeah. And that kind that influenced me. And I, and I realized without actually realizing it, that the, 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 the better I done for myself and the, and the more that I was able to get into certain positions, I was able to influence change more. So, for example, I, I went to, well, I remember being, um, I was just walking away in logistic services and the decided, and situation changed where I, I decided at that stage that I wanted to do something different. So I went to college and that college kind of opened up more doors for me and it gave me more, more of a say and more of a knowledge and more of a, a, an influence in, in, in my area. Um, I was working in an addiction service, as, as you know yourself, I was with you at that stage and I, I got the opportunity and I didn't actually, I always call myself an accidental politician. I got an opportunity then to be co-opted on in, into South Dublin County Council as a, as a councillor. I was a member of the party, all right, but it wasn't something that was on my agenda to do. But the party believed that I was the right person at the time to take over from Owen O'Brien, who's our spokesperson on housing. Um, so I decided to do that. Now, it was to the detriment at the time to the career that I was in because I, I, I was put with a choice of to either continue in the addiction service that I was in or to go and uh, pursue this um, counsellor. And it was, it, was, it was a big drop in wages. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't something that was... Um, most no, most people that have any sense probably would have said no, but myself, I just seen it as an opportunity to influence change, and I done that. And I, and I, I the, the I realised very soon when I was in there that my voice and my accent and the, where I'm from was really really important to be heard because I, I felt that an awful lot of people from my backgrounds, their voices hadn't been heard in in in, in areas like that, especially in the council chamber and stuff. And within two years. I was then nominated to be the mayor of South Dublin, which was, it was, which was a huge thing. I was the first person from my area in North and Dawkins to become mayor of South Dublin. Just and incredible. Incredible. Yeah, incredible. Incredible. Yeah, really, yeah. really incredible. I remember that happening and I just thought, geez, it's just amazing. Like. Yeah, and it was, it was a really, really short time as in becoming a councillor in 2016. And then by 2018, I was, I, 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 was, I was elected as the mayor of South Dublin. So I was obviously doing something right, but it, it was more... Again, that being the mayor of South Dublin kind of gave me a little bit more of a platform 
And when and when I open my mouth, more people listened. And so I could, I could start influencing change on yeah. that as well. Um, I contested the election, the local elections in 2019, which was a difficult election for Sinn Féin, but it wasn't for myself. Uh, I topped the poll in my area. I got in on the first count um, and, and I was elected. But while the, the, the local elections was going on, and this is the reason that I kind of end up here, and I still say I'm an accidental politician, um, is because the European elections were on at the same time. Um, Francis Fitzgerald, who was the former Tarnishta um, and, and a stalwart of Fianna, Fianna Gael, contested the, the, sorry, the, local, uh, the European elections and was successful, which meant that there was a vacancy in Dublin Midwest, which is the area that I was from. So um, the party decided that I was the candidate that they wanted to put forward in that election. Nobody really gave um, us a fighting chance. Um, they seen it as a Fianna Gael It's always been a Fianna Gael But from the local elections to the, the, the boy election, our message started resonating with people. And when we had a great local elections, people start listening to us, what we were saying on a national level, that families and workers just basically needed a break. And, and that, that, was the, that was the platform that we went through. And I won that election in, in sorry, it was a, a week ago on Sunday, I think it was this week, um, I, I, I won that election. And it was, a, it was a huge boost, never mind myself personally and my family, but it was also a huge boost for our party. And it kind of led us on then to the general election in February where we, we, we went from, I think it was 20 seats up to 37, I think it was, which was, which was a huge increase, increase for the party. So I'm in a position to try to... Yeah, it was, yeah. And I think it's something that would, uh, it will never be reversed. Um, I think, well, and I'm not just saying Sinn Féin, I, I think this flip-flop of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael government since the, since the, the formation of the state, that's, that, I think it's on its last legs now. Um, well, well, you might see them in, in government in the future, in, in one form or another. Um, I, I think people are, are, are starting to see real opposition for what it's worth, which is tangible, which is, which is vocal, which is uh, trying to influence change. And that's going back to your very start to your question. Um, my passion for getting into this kind of line of work, if you want to call it that, and everything that goes with it, um, good, bad and indifferent, is that I, I feel that I'm in a position where I can influence change that's going to benefit people that I represent and the area that I grew up in. And it's going to have a, a, a positive impact on not only my children's lives but other children's lives around my area as well so that's that's where the passion comes from robert no that's fantastic uh, thanks mark um mark like you know i wouldn't even have been aware and i'm sure most people aren't aware uh, that you live with multiple sclerosis and uh i suppose maybe for people that don't know anything about it i'm just wondering would you mind sharing a little bit about what ms is and how it can affect someone if that's okay yeah, that's fine. It's and you know what I worked with you and you wouldn't have been aware um, because it was something that I, I I didn't I didn't need I didn't felt the need to tell people because I had it and I still have it under a a modicum of control, I'd say if I want a better word, but I, I live with it. Um, actually I don't live with it. I always say multiple sclerosis lives with me and God love it. Like that's the way I deal with it. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. diagnosed about 14, about 14 years ago after years of being misdiagnosed and undiagnosed and brought into the hospital for something that was, they couldn't figure out where I was. And I eventually got my, I eventually got a diagnosis of, of, of multiple sclerosis. Um, at the time it was, it was very, very frightening. Um, but me being a man of my generation that I thought that I, I, should, I could bottle everything up and not speak about and tell everybody else was fine. And that's what I don't. So I, I used to tell people everything was fine. But on the inside, I was terrified. I was frightened. But I hadn't got the ability to articulate what actually was going on for me. I didn't have that capacity in me at the time to be able to go and say, listen, I'm frightened. 
I'm really, really worried about this. I'm really, really worried how I'm going to provide for my family and all that kind of stuff um, at the time. And that led me at that stage um, to be very sick within myself, as in I was suffering with depression. I didn't know I was suffering with depression. I didn't even know what depression was. But I, I found myself becoming very withdrawn from family, from friends, from society in general, and, and, and becoming a, a, a recluse. And that went on for a, a number of years until I finally just decided to do something that I always advise anybody else to do. I opened my mouth and I spoke about actually how I was feeling. What I had the capacity and the language to, to articulate that at the time, it didn't really matter because once I opened my mouth, I took a chance and spoke to somebody and that led me on to speaking to somebody else. And I end up, I end up getting help for, for myself at the time. Um, and that allowed me then to start not only dealing with what was going on internally, but also what was going on with multiple sclerosis at, at the time. So at this stage, I, 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 I obviously, I, I took a while to accept that I have it, but I accept that I, I have the condition. It's a lifelong um, uh, neurological condition. It's, it's basically like, it's the simple way of putting it is that if you take my brain as a, a, a motherboard and my body as a kind of circuit board, um, when the messages are going from my brain, say, to my hands or to my fingers, it takes a little detour. It does a circuit break somewhere and it takes a little detour and it takes a little bit longer to get to certain parts of, of, of my body, which means the body is actually working extra to get the signal down there, which is, which is having it an impact on pain or maybe it, it, it's, it's causing fatigue or sometimes it's, it's irritation as well. So it, that's, that's the kind of layman's term of, of what multiple sclerosis is. There's all sorts of treatment for it, and everybody takes their own path in it. That uh, it's it's not a, a one size fit all condition. So everybody, you could have a Robert and, and have a totally uh, different reaction than, than so you fixed than it. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. What I what I have, I, I was on medication for a while, and I found the medication was actually just for me um, was having an impact on my quality of life. Um, so at the moment, um, and it's it's. Um, sometimes I, I do have a, a disagreement with my neurologist over it. I, I'm not on any medication um, for it. I, I kind of look after myself, not as well as I should at the moment because I'm, I'm quite busy, but I eat well and I exercise well and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, 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 only, I only went public, Robert, and this is going back to the influence of being in a position of influence. I only went public when I was, when I was the mayor of South Dublin. Um, I decided to go public on a couple of things in, in, in relation to it. And it was, it was more to, to give people who are newly diagnosed a bit of hope. Because when I, just, when I was newly diagnosed, even though I was telling people I was fine, I didn't think I had any, any hope. And, and in that year, I ran the Dublin City Marathon, which was absolutely, it was a huge achievement. At one stage, say 12 years ago, I was on a walking stick. I needed a walking stick to get around. I couldn't go into a shop that had a refrigerated... Um, supermarket with, with the refrigerated section because the cold would get into me very, very quick and I'd find myself in bed for a couple of days. So that's, that's where I was, going around walking stick and afraid to go into certain places. And then uh, 10 years or so later, I was running the, the, the Dublin City Marathon, which was an absolutely fantastic achievement. It's just incredible. What I, did do, yeah, what I did do was raise awareness for people, um, especially new, newly diagnosed people, that just whatever you're feeling, just go out and speak about it. And there is help out there. Um, you just have to tap into it. So that's the reason why I went public on it. No, it's brilliant. And, and you know, I, I always admired you for that. Uh, looking back, you know, I wouldn't have been aware, like, you know, I worked closely with you for a number of years. 
when I was in Dublin and working in the community project. But mm. um, you you know that that tells a lot about you as well yourself. You know you never publicised that. You know, and when you did, it was it was mm. for very very positive reasons. Um, Mark, uh, I I suppose look for you tapped into like you know that obviously depression was part of. Uh, MS and you know that that was part of you for a number, a number of years that you struggled with that. Uh, is anxiety something as well that possibly you've struggled with in relation to to it and you know just in relation to, to, to both of them or even one of them anxiety or depression like how have you got support for them how have you managed that you know what skills and tools maybe have you uh, developed or, or, or and used maybe today to kind of support you with that stuff like Okay, well, the, the most basic thing I have is like, I have a good support network of friends and family around me. So if I need to speak to somebody, I have people I can go and speak to. And I'm not afraid to go and pick up the phone and go and speak to somebody personally if, if I need to. Um, the depression at the time, that's gone back a good few years. It's not something I, I've suffered with since. Um, yep. And I, I'm lucky. I'm lucky with that. I, to me, it was, it was, it was, it was the... Being diagnosed with something that I didn't know anything about, and I done Doctor Google. So when I done Doctor Google, my train of thought would only let me look at the negative sides of MS. It wouldn't let me see the people that would have recovered and the people that would have um, have lived a, a positive and good quality of life. I, my head was wasn't in a, a fit state to do that. So I was looking at the negative kind of stuff, and my head was only going to let me look at that. Um, as I said, I suffered with depression. I became withdrawn. I I I I, I wouldn't speak to family, friends, work colleagues, anybody. But if anybody was asking me how I was, I was telling them I was fine, and which I wasn't um, at all. I, I went and spoke to people, and I just learned different tools and how to deal with that. And I, it was just more about changing my thinking around MS. And I mentioned earlier on, like it, I don't say I have MS anymore. I say MS has me, and God love it. That's the way I kind of look at um, it. I wouldn't like to be MS. I wouldn't like to be MS that wanted to take over somebody's body and end up with me. Yeah, wouldn't end up with me, like because I, I'm not someone that, that now that is, is allowing it to impact on me on a daily basis. It doesn't impact them on a daily basis. I actually, most days I don't even think about it, um, which which goes to show from somebody that was obsession, obsessing with something, at one stage there's somebody that doesn't think about it. Now I might get the odd swing, I might be tired a little bit more, or sometimes I get a pain, um, which wouldn't be normal, people wouldn't get, and that kind of brings it back, but I can deal with that now. Uh, and it's something that I deal with on a daily basis. Um, and anxiety, it's 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 it, it, they go hand in hand. It wasn't, and I don't know what everybody feels anxious. Um, I still get it. Like even doing public speaking, I get this kind of ball of nerves in my stomach sometimes before I have to go up and speak. And it's kind of just using my, changing my thinking around that and pushing myself through it. Like a lot of that is not even to do with MS. A lot of that is being conditioned in in an area of a social disadvantage area where you're constantly told by outsiders that you're not good enough that you're that your, your your voice shouldn't be heard and it's 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 the push through that it's just for me myself is to just to say listen I'm, i deserve my voice to be heard as any as much as anybody else and what i have to say is every bit as important as anybody else whether you agree with me or not it's 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 irrelevant but what i have to say to me is very important for me to say and and and, and it's just, just to push myself through that robert yeah, and like I, I think a lot of people be able to relate to that. It's that it was one of my questions for you actually, just around public speaking and the anxiety that can often come with that, and you know people's internal dialogue can often be quite negative, and that can 
really kind of make them avoid all of those type of situations. So it just maybe just something on that, like uh, what you tell yourself, like, you know, when that ball of anxiety is there and maybe you're faced with maybe going into the doll or mm-hmm. doing public speak. I mean, how, how, how do you kind of push yourself through that fear zone? You know, how, how do you manage that? One of the best bit of advice I've got um, when I was going up for my very first meeting up South Dublin County Council, I went up on a brand who was at TD and, and two was went up in the car and he was explaining to me what was going to happen that day. Now, I should have asked before that what was actually going to happen that day. So he was saying, I got in and, and I, I thanked the council for my time with the council and I, I think it calls him tweets and says, then I introduce you and I say a few words about you and then you go in and say, um, you go in and do your speech and I had to stop and I said, what speech? Because I wasn't prepared. I'm not prepared. I wasn't ready for anything. Yeah. And he, <laughs> the anxiety just kicked in straight away. And he, he just basically just said to me, he said, listen, Mark, he says, just open your mouth. He says, what you have to say is very, very relevant. You're, you're here for a reason. You're here because we as a party believe you're the best person in the uh, in, in your area to, to take over from, from me in the council. And go and open your mouth. He says, and trust yourself, wherever it's going to come out, it's going to be the truth and it's going to be your truth. So that's, that's where I come from all the time. So when I'm speaking, even today, I, I was speaking on... Um, just before this interview, I was speaking on the conditions of student nurses and, and midwives. So the way I kind of do things, I, 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 I would have contacted a number of student nurses and midwives in my own area. And what I done was I brought their voices into the chamber today. So you'll probably see it later on. So I, I spoke on behalf of them, but I used their voices because what's happened is when, when we're in here in, in, in the doll or in the, in the chamber and discussing, and I'm not saying everybody, but some people, and some parties and, and individuals in some parties, so I wouldn't say all parties, uh, that that connection between in here and what's actually happening in the real world That's sometimes broken. gets broken. It sometimes gets broken. So what I always try to do is that I will give a voice to people that from the area that I represent or, or whatever campaign that I'm, I'm speaking on. And to me, then, it, it takes away that anxiety because what I'm doing is I'm giving something back. I'm not just me up there for talking for the sake of talking. I'm actually giving something back to the area that I represent. So that that helps as well, yeah. Yeah. Brings great value into your life as well within what you're doing. Like, it's, it, it's yeah. fantastic. Um, Mark, I, I suppose, look, just for people out there that might have MS or possibly struggling with other conditions or other autoimmune diseases, um, or pe- people are just struggling with maybe their mental health, um, like, you know, and more simpler things like, what are, what, what's some advice that you might give people? Okay, the, the first thing I would do uh, on the autoimmune disease rather than the mental health would be not to do Dr. Google. Um, yeah. I said it already, because Dr. Google will never, if you if your state of mind is not in a, a good place, Dr. Google will bring you down the dark road and it will only, it will only allow you to focus on the worst possible outcomes. That's just the reality of it. So don't do Dr. Google. Go and speak to um, the societies or the organizations that are set up to help whatever it might be. So if it's if it's MS, there's the MS Society who I found really, really good over the years and very, very helpful. There is if it's if it's if it's Parkinson or if it's um, uh, motor neuron disease, wherever it might be, just using them as an example, there, there, there is organizations set up to advocate on your behalf and speak to you. And then if you need counseling after speaking to these people, these people will put you in, in, in touch with the right counsellors. And a lot of time there is no monetary, um, it doesn't cost you anything to do that. So if, if, it's, if it's money is an obstacle, get in touch with them, it doesn't cost you anything. In relation to people that are struggling with mental health, um, the cliche 
that's always put out there like it's okay not to be okay but it's not a cliche it's, it, it is okay not to be okay there's days i'm not okay there's days you're not okay everybody has days when the when 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 they're not okay so what, what i would suggest and it's back to basics is is that if you have got support networks around you such as family friends work colleagues is to rely on them because you'd be the very person that would want your work colleague your friend your family member to rely on you if they were feeling down and, and it's something that people actually appreciate when you when you go and uh, and speak to them. Unfortunately, not everybody has that network of family, friends, or or, or um or, or work colleagues around them. So what I would suggest is that your first point of call if they're suffering with or anything with mental health is a GP, is a GP, and then take it from there. Then um, and do one step at a time, and try not try not look at the bigger picture, but try and just take things a day at a time, and that kind of brings things into the here and now, which is a lot easier to manage than what's going to come down five years down the line because your head will go off into all sorts of, of movie films and, and stories which yeah. never have any good endings. Yeah, no, that's brilliant advice. Yeah, really, really good. And uh, I, I think even tapping into what you said and earlier, you, you kind of went into there is you know it, it's that it's the fear of the unknown is often the worst. It's kind of you know that knowledge and when you get an understanding of what's going on for you or what's taking place. Um, that kind of gives you the power to kind of know what you need to do and what you need to implement to kind of move forward and kind of support yourself. Uh, and, and like talking fundamentally, obviously, is so, so important. Um, great advice, Mark. Um, okay, Mark, uh, just uh, in relation to family, I know you're a real family man. I mean, where would you see kind of family fundamentally in relation to our well-being? Um, and I suppose one of my reasons for setting up the channel was that it would kind of come under that umbrella of health and well-being and just looking at kind of all the different areas that that kind of takes it takes into account and family definitely being one of them so for you family like where does that come into kind of you having a, a positive sense of well-being family is my core like that's the core of who i am and and and, and where i come from like so my family is usually usually huge important to me whether, whether that's being a brother, whether that's being a son, whether that's being a father, wherever it might be, um, whatever role that I am in the family, it's it's usually usually important to me. Um, like I, I, I don't I, I co-parent my, my children. Um, my eldest daughter's twenty. She's in she's in the UCD now. She's in a second year of college. Um, my two youngest kids are fourteen and twelve, and I spend as much time as possible with them. Um, even at the even at the weekends when, when they're with me or during the week whatever day they're with me um i i, I turn up my phone from work as much as best as i can that's something really important that i have to do um right. just to get just so i have that time with them and they have that time with me and there's not a distraction now most times it's trying to get my kids off their their xboxes and their and their playstations and to, to come in and spend time with me but i'm very involved with the local ga and i train the local ga teams as well which, which, which is really, really good for, for me and for my mental health. It gets me out and, and about and being involved. So I think family are a, they're, they're a huge influence on me, but I'm also, I can also be, and like every member of family, be a big influence on them. So one of the proudest moments I had was, was, was when I, I got elected into the all and my mum and dad came in with me. It was, it was really, really emotional to see how proud that they were, that they had, that, that someone was after being elected. As 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 a chocolate doll in 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 the boy election, um, they were really really so proud of having for for, for me like you know what I mean and I and I could see and then I had to kind of when I I was out with my dad a few times and be meeting friends and whatever and he, he wasn't introducing me as his son anymore he's introduced me as this is so this is this is this is my son Mark the PD so that, listen just get back to Mark like, you know what I mean but it just showed how how proud that he was 
Yeah, um, lovely, and, really nice. And he's proud of us all. And he always says that, like, we, I, I, I have other brothers and sisters, and he's equally proud of every single one of us in, in, in different ways, the same way I am about white children as well. It, it, it's, it's fantastic to have. Awesome. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a lovely story about your father as well. It's really nice. Um, and I, I suppose for us having those positive connections in our life is really, really important. I mean, we can get really caught up in work sometimes as well and kind of putting that aside and put, like you said, turning off the phone and putting it away and kind of making sure that when you're when we're with our family and with our children that we're really connecting. Um, Mark, uh, just you kind of touched in it there again, but just in relation to kind of having positive health and well-being, like you talked about, you're a big GA man, I might come to that in a sec, but uh, one of our biggest rivals uh, here in Kerry, uh, but uh, not going well for us this year, but anyway, no. um, just in relation to health and well-being, like, you know, what are other things you do? Obviously, look, nutrition is really important, uh, exercise, I mean, what are the kind of things that you do to kind of maintain a good self and health and well-being for you in your own life? And, and, and excuse the, the language on this one, but I had to give myself uh, the proverbial kick in the arse this week, Robert, because I haven't been getting the exercise in that I should be getting in. Um, like when you get to a stage when you do something, so exercise works for me, whether that's going out for a jog, whether it's going out for a cycle, whether even if it's going out for a walk, I'm going to the gym. Um, it's, it's, it really, really works for me. And sometimes what happens when we do something that really, really works for me, we just stop doing it. And that's what's kind of happened to me over, over the last while. It's because probably, um, because I'm so busy in work or I'm with family as well that I haven't I haven't allotted myself that time. So it's just it's it's just about me getting back into um, a little bit of a routine where I, where I, I, I for me um, is to fit that exercise and, and 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 cycling and running and wherever I might be back into my life. Like I, I even got myself a, a a weight bench at home that is just gathering dust. Like it's there in my house. It's not that I, I haven't got the access to it because the gyms are closed because of the restrictions. I actually went out and bought something which I haven't really used. And that's something that I will have to go and, and do for myself. But I find, um, I really find exercise really good. Um, I, and to, to me, everybody has their own way of doing things. I love nothing better than going out for a jog on my own. Sometimes I put music on, sometimes I don't. Um, but I, I just like, just to switch off for them that 40 minutes of a run, whatever you're doing, it, it, it's really, really kind of uh, valuable for me. Uh, it's the same, I've started cycle there recently as well, and I've signed up to do a, a, Bel a Dublin to Belfast cycle in the new year. Now, I haven't cycled any more than 17K at the moment, so it's a huge jump, but I'm, I'm, it's given me something to aim for, so I, I felt that would be something, once I set my mind to something, I usually kind of do my best to get there. So I've started cycling as well, I must say I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, my biggest fear on cycling is that I get a puncher and I don't know how to fix a puncher. Um, 40, 45 years of age and I can't fix a puncher, but I'm sure I'll cross that bridge if I, if I, if I have to. But it's vital um, to exercise for, for, for your well-being. Nutrition is, is really, really good as well for me. And it's something that I had in check for a while and it's something else I need to get back on track. Um, and particularly when I'm walking the way I'm walking and I'm eating on the run, um, it's just to get myself back, back into routine. I've eaten the proper foods at the right time as well. Yeah, it could be a, it could be a lot more challenging. I, I you know, and I, I suppose yeah. that's life for so many of us. Is, is that you know we can be really effective for periods of time, and we can kind of fall off. But it is just about trying to bring ourselves back on track again. But really good advice. Um, you know, I do a bit of running myself. Re really, really enjoy it. Um, Mark, I suppose. Look, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to ask you. Don't really want to ask you, but uh, just around uh, Dublin, I I suppose. How do you think they're gonna fare in this year's championship? 
those wouldn't know Mark. Mark is probably one of the biggest Dublin supporters, possibly very, very well known with the Dublin team as well, and a very popular man up in Hill 16. But Mark, um, like, what do you think? How do you think you're going to fare this year? You know, it's, it's probably one of the most interesting championships that I've never mm. been at. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> because I, 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 I don't miss games. I go to the Auburn Cup games, the league games up and down the country. It's something that I'm really, really passionate about. And it's something that's really, really good for me as well. Like, I love just getting out and just being with the lads and, yeah. and, and bringing my family along to the matches and, and enjoying the atmosphere that goes with it. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, we're rather having a great run under under Jim Gavin, which is another Condorcan native uh, that doesn't live that far away from myself, um, which is which is fan, same club as well in, in Round Towers and Condorcan. We had a great run with Jim Gavin. We, we have a new manager now with Desi Farrell, who's uh, where people thought we'd be in transition. But um, after a kind of a indifferent kind of league campaign, we kind of we've hit the ground running in the championship. And I thought the last match against Mead was really really impressive that we didn't take our foot off the gas, even though we were so far ahead. Um, we're in an all Ireland semi-final now, which I, I, and I, I always like to see the best teams there. So I'm kind of disappointed to see Kerry not there because they they, they have been our, between ourselves and Mayo, have been the two teams that have been consistently challenged Dublin over the years. I think it's really, really, it, it's the way time throws up these these permeabilities over the years. Um, we have an all Ireland semi-final, which is the exact same all Ireland semi-final. Uh, as as the nine, the nineteen twenty semi final around Bloody Sunday, where you have Dublin and Cavan in one final, and you have uh, Tipperary and Mayo in the other final. And what happened then was it ended up being a Tipperary and Dublin final with Tipperary winning. So I wouldn't mind to see a Tipperary and Dublin final again, but this time I'd like to see the outcome change a little bit. That Dublin come out on top of that and we get our <laughs> six in a row. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's it's actually you know like it's terrible we're out of it like but it, even watching it now it, it like it, it's so exciting like it's it's like you know all these underdogs are coming through and it, yeah. it's an amazing championship yeah. so it's very it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Um, Mark, come here, thank you so much. Like I, I really appreciate you coming on and you taking the time and I think people take so much from listening to you. Um, I really do. Um, do you want to just finish with just just a few words, maybe you know, just on mental health and maybe you know, it doesn't matter what it is, just whatever you want and maybe leave people with. I will. Do you know what? I'll speak and you mentioned mental health. It's 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 about policy decisions again, and I don't want to get all political at the end, but there's not a debate in this chamber in the doll that doesn't impact on people's mental health. Whether that's a policy change in health, in housing, in transport, in business, it has a direct impact on people's mental health. Um, I, I've been advocating for a while that the, the spokesperson um, or the minister um, for mental health has a seat at the cabinet table um, in, in, in the government because what her party colleagues are deciding at cabinet level is actually having a direct influence and um, impact on whole brief as the mental health spokesperson. So we, we, need, we need to have that voice in there um, because everything that happens within policy has a, an impact on people's mental health. The housing crisis, the health crisis, wherever it might be, uh, has, has an impa impact on it. Um, on, a, on a positive side, um, I, I just really do think that the resilience that people have has been absolutely tested to the full yeah. um, during this pandemic, but we're, we're surviving. Like as as a as a as a 
as a, as a country and, and, as, and as a race, we, we've actually we've, we've actually really come through this really well. We'll, we'll see the, na- the negative kind of stuff out on social media around a couple of people gathering together here and there and breaking social media kind of stuff. Right, that's, that happens. But the vast majority of people have been really, really good. They're looking after themselves. They're looking after their friends. They're looking after their neighbours. And, and it just shows how, how we are as, 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 as a country. And I think that's a positive thing that we need to take out of that, that we have got the resilience and we are able to help ourselves and help each other. And that's the last thing I'll finish on. The most important person that you should be helping out is yourself. And I, I've said this in day one, and that's not being selfish, because if you can't look after yourself, you're not going to be able to help anybody else then. Like the old um, saying is when the... the the, the air hostess or the air hostess yeah. steward is on the airplane. You know what I'm saying, Robert? Yeah, yeah. When yeah. When, the, when when he gets on and they say about the oxygen mask, they say look after yourself first. And the simple reason is that is you look after yourself first, and then you are in a better position to help other people. So that's that that be a message that I I'd give anybody: just look after yourself first, and then be yeah, able yeah. to look after other people. That's a fabulous fabulous to finish with that, Mark. Yeah, really really good. And people, um, I I think what what else I'd like people to take from today's video is that no matter what you're faced with in life, you know, no matter what, and like everybody will be faced with different adversity at different times that, you know, you can find a way through it. There is support there for you. And, you know, you have everybody, every individual has more untapped potential than they ever truly know. So don't leave things get in your way of you achieving your goals. Mark, thanks again so much. Real pleasure to talk to you. Um, for anybody that's watching the video, if you can, it'd be great if you like what you see, like and share the video, and please don't forget to subscribe. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. Good man.